The Son was sanctified and sent. Jesus says that in John 10, 36. That's the verse I spoke on in the first hour where we read, Do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the Son of God? He concentrated on the words, whom the, him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world. So sometimes when we think of our Christology, our doctrine of Christ, we um, theologians have put him in the state of humiliation, in the state of exaltation. You probably heard his humiliation, his exaltation. But there's also a pre-incarnate state, his, his before-the-incarnation state of being, which he doesn't change from into something new. He always has that form of being, that is, being in the form of God, being God by nature, Philippians chapter 2. Before the Son became incarnate, he was the Son or Word of the Father eternally. So when we look at this verse, I said the best way to understand this is to have whatever this sanctification is, this is before the world began, and the sending then would be the assumption, the incarnation itself, beginning in the womb of Mary. And I quoted John Gill, and we started going through some, some of the difficulties, uh, strengths and difficulties of the two views on that verse. I, I said uh, the best option is the one that Gill said, and that is one is talking about the covenant of redemption, for lack of a better word, and the other is talking about the real and historical incarnation. Now, what I wanted to do um, this afternoon was you can take your hymnal and you can turn to the back, and I want to read chapter 8 of our confession. So this will be on page number 674 and 675. And I won't have you stand. It's not scripture. But listen to these words. It pleased God in his eternal purpose, chapter 1, chapter 8, excuse me, paragraph 1. It pleased God in his eternal purpose to choose and ordain the Lord Jesus, his only begotten Son, according to the covenant made between them both, to be the mediator between God and man, the prophet. Excuse me, prophet, priest, and king, head and savior of his church, the heir of all things, and judge of the world, unto whom he did from eternity give a people to be his seed and to be by him in time redeemed, called, justified, sanctified, and glorified, the Son of God, the second person in the Holy Trinity, being very and eternal God, the brightness of the Father's glory, of one Substance and equal with him who made the world, who upholdeth and governeth all things he hath made, did, when the fullness 
of time was come, take upon him man's nature with all the essential properties and common infirmities thereof, yet without sin, being conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary, the Holy Spirit coming down upon her and the power of the Most High overshadowing her, and so was made of a woman of the tribe of Judah, of the seed of Abraham and David, according to the Scriptures, so that two whole, perfect, and distinct natures were inseparably joined together in one person without conversion, composition, or confusion, which person is very God and very man, yet one Christ the only mediator between God and man. The Lord Jesus in his human nature, thus united to the divine in the person of the Son, was sanctified and anointed with the Holy Spirit. This is slightly different uh, than the John 10 thing, I think. Above measure, having in him all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in whom it pleased the Father that all fullness should dwell to the end that, being holy, harmless, undefiled, and full of grace and truth, he might be thoroughly furnished to execute the office of mediator and surety, which office he took not upon himself, but was thereunto called by his Father, who also put all power and judgment in his hand and gave him commandment to execute the same. This office the Lord Jesus did most willingly undertake, which, that he might discharge, he was made under the law and did perfectly fulfill it and underwent the punishment due to us, which we should have borne and suffered, being made sin and a curse for us, enduring most grievous sorrows in his soul and most painful sufferings in his body, was crucified and died and remained in the state of the dead, yet saw no corruption." On the third day, he rose from the dead with the same body in which he suffered, with which he also ascended into heaven, and there sitteth at the right hand of his Father, making intercession, and shall return to judge men and angels at the end of the world, the Lord Jesus, by his perfect obedience and sacrifice of himself, which he, through the eternal Spirit, once offered up unto God, hath fully satisfied the justice of God, procured reconciliation, and purchased an everlasting inheritance in the kingdom of heaven for all those whom the Father hath given unto him. Although the price of redemption was not actually paid by Christ till after his incarnation, yet the virtue, efficacy, and benefit thereof were communicated to the elect in all ages successively from the beginning of the world, in and by those promises, types, and sacrifices, wherein he was revealed and signified to be the seed of the woman which should bruise the serpent's head, and the lamb slain from the foundation of the world being the same yesterday and today and forever. That paragraph 6 is talking about answering the question, how were saints before the incarnation saved? By, ver- by the virtue, efficacy, and benefit of Christ communicated to them through promises type shadows. Christ in the work of mediation, paragraph 7, acteth according to both natures by each nature 
doing that which is proper to itself, yet, by reason of the unity of the person, that which is proper to one nature is sometimes in Scripture attributed to the person denominated by the other nature. I have come down from heaven. So what's happening there is there's only... There's no way the human nature came down from heaven. No way the divine nature came down from heaven. Local relocation. Um, But the person can be said to have come down because of the incarnation. Uh, God has blood, Acts 20, 28. They killed, they crucified, they killed the Lord of glory, the Lord seems to be using um, attributes of his divinity, Lord of glory, and yet saying it died. Does divinity die? No, but the person who is God the Son can die according to the human nature, and that's what he did do. By the way, the divine nature... Not only can't, can't it die, but if it did die, it would be dying because it's guilty or it, because God had sinned and divine justice requires divine punishment on the divine nature. It's weird. It's wrong, right? When the son dies, he dies as a judgment, but he also wins the battle um, because of the sin of human nature, not divinity. So he's dying according to the nature, the only nature that can die. Christ in the work of mediators, I already read that one. To all those for whom Christ hath obtained eternal redemption, he does certainly and effectually apply and communicate the same, making intercession for them, uniting them to himself by his spirit, revealing unto them in and by the word the mystery of salvation, persuading them to believe and obey, governing their hearts by his word and spirit, and overcoming all their enemies by his almighty power and wisdom in such manner and ways as are most consonant to his wonderful and unsearchable dispensation and all of free and absolute grace without any condition foreseen in them to procure it. The office, this office of mediator between God and man is proper only to Christ who is the prophet, priest, and king of the church of God and may not be either in whole or any part thereof transferred from him to any other. This number and order of offices is necessary for in respect of our ignorance, we stand in need of his prophetical office. And in respect of our alienation from God and imperfection of the best of our services, we need his priestly office to reconcile us and present us acceptable unto God. And in respect of our averseness and utter inability to return to God and for our rescue and security from our spiritual adversaries, We need his kingly office to convince, subdue, draw, uphold, deliver, and preserve us to his heavenly kingdom. Thus ends our reading of chapter 8. Almost every week I try to say what chapter 8 says, but I just use Bible texts to try to get that into us that 
the need we all have for the Savior, the mediator, to be both God and man. In the work of mediation, the mediator acts according to both natures. We have to have uh, a mediator who is both God and man because as last Adam, he's got more to undo and redo than Adam ever did. Um, the, the, the new Adam, the last Adam, is head of a new creation. And he's going to subdue all the enemies of God and his people, which includes the devil and his angels. So it can't be just a man, but it has to be a man because the nature that is assumed or that which is not assumed is not healed. What needs healing? Human nature. So he does assume real humanity, but he's God the Son assuming or taking to himself flesh in order to live righteously in it, die under the judgment and wrath of God, and obtain a victory over death that he confers upon his upon his people. So I don't know if you heard the language in chapter 8 of some of the verses we looked at earlier today, and some of the concepts Earlier today, I was preaching, uh, the confession does a wonderful job of encapsulating those things. Now, somebody had said, when I read 1 Timothy 3.16, um, it kind of rang a bell in their head. So I want to read that again. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory, we could add, uh, who will come again in glory and, and glorify all those who were given to him before the foundation of the world to be redeemed in time by him and to have status of full adoption conferred upon them when he comes again, Romans 8. It's a wonderful truth. May the Lord bless it to the well-being of our souls. Thank you, Lord, for this consideration on... Uh, the Bible's teaching about what we call Christology of Christ, the mediator, the uh, one person, two-natured redeemer. This is a, an astounding um, truth. It's the nuts and bolts of what Christianity is all about. It's all about Christ. It's all about the triune God and the second person of the Godhead assuming our nature to bring us to glory because we have ruined ourselves. We were ruined in our father Adam and we also have added to the ruin ourselves by trying to ruin ourselves in our sins and our foolishness. But you are merciful. You help the helpless and the... Um, dead in their trespasses and sins. That, that was us. And 
grace came, the information that was illuminated into our, in our minds and hearts came to us by your kind mercy, and you changed us. We are forever uh, grateful, never grateful enough. We want to learn how to live more thankfully, more gratefully for all that you've given us, not just um, as creatures, but more so as your redeemed people. Greatly privileged, highly privileged, but deserve just the opposite. Um, Rivet this into our heads and hearts and bless now as we uh, take the supper together. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.